Philippians chapter 1, verse 12 to 18. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and that, and in that I rejoice." We are in part three of our series where we are going through the book of Philippians. Um, the series we're calling the Koinonia of Grace, which is a word that means partnership and partaking and fellowship all in one. And today we're going to look at this passage where Paul is saying something extraordinary. Now for those of you who, who, may, be, who, who may be new to this, to this series with us, this, the book of Philippians is a letter written to a church in Philippi, and Paul wrote this while he's in prison. He is in a prison when he's writing this, okay? And he is saying something astonishing. He's saying that though I'm in prison, I'm actually happy. I'm happy. Why am I happy? Because though what has happened to me is terrible, what has happened to me is terrible, it is getting out there. The gospel is advancing. I want you to know that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. That's what it says. This terrible thing is advancing the gospel. And because of that, I'm happy. Hmm. And with this, I want to ask you some questions today about how you look at bad things that happen in your life. Calamity. Not just a little kind of a tough battle. Somebody cut you off in traffic. I'm not talking about somebody cut you off in traffic. I am talking about ending up in prison <laughs> or something worse. Something really terrible happening that could potentially break your life. How do you face it? How do you deal with it? And he also goes on to talk about some preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. And he's saying, some of these guys are out there, there are other people out there, they're proclaiming Jesus, they're sharing the gospel, but then there are some of these guys out there, the reason they're doing it, they're just doing it just to spite me. They're actually doing this to afflict me. The reasons they're doing this are actually really bad. But then this is really astonishing. He even says, well, no matter what, whether they're being jerks about it or not, they're proclaiming Jesus. That's how precious the gospel is to Paul. For Paul, everything about his life, whether people hate him or reject him or oppose him, or whether he's in a prison or he has some calamity that's happening to him, he processes it through how is this event in one way or another shaping, shaped by or affecting the gospel. That's how he thinks about it. That's how big his life is when it comes to the gospel. And today, I want to ask you some questions 
about what, where your life is built and what your life is centered on. Because if your life isn't centered on the gospel, it's going to be centered on something else. That's, that's just what it is. If something isn't big enough for you to, to shape and then begin to process everything in your life, including the bad things, including the when people are against you and afflict you, if it isn't big enough for you to be able to process all these things, then all these other things are going to beat you down. Calamities, other people's opinions, their rejection of you, their opposition to you, all these things will beat you down and you will never be able to say, I rejoice when things are tough. Can you rejoice when things are tough and even when people hate you? Can you do that? That's what I want to talk about today. This man has a power that most of us can't even imagine, let alone you think he can have. But I want to let you know, first, I want to ask you to begin to even imagine it. And then I want to ask you and offer you the hope that you can even begin to have it. So in three parts, part one, the shallow life of self-interest and good circumstances. That's the life that most of us are pursuing. But it's a shallow life. A shallow life of self-interest and good circumstances. Part two, dependence upon the opinion of others. Dependence on the opinion of others versus the pleasure and approval of God. That's another part of what we think is important in life. Other people think well of me. Other people don't hate me. They're not against me. But actually, if that's what your life is dependent upon for your life to be good, ultimately dependent on, your life is fragile, actually. In part three, there's a power. A power, the power and worthiness of the gospel for you to build your whole life on the gospel and serve the gospel, okay? Um, Part one, shallow life of self-interest and good circumstances. Um, You have different thoughts. Everybody has different thoughts that happen in your mind. Do you have any thoughts that happen regularly? Some of you may be very self-centered, so you're thinking like, uh, you tend to think, I'm so great, I'm so great, I'm so great. Is that what you think? Probably most of you are Asians, so that's probably not what you think. <laughs> All right, you're probably thinking that thing. Um, I need to improve. I need to improve. I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. That's probably, since you're Asian, a lot of you in the room are Asian. That's probably what you're thinking, okay? Um, but there are common thoughts that happen in your head that you can't even control, and it's almost like, okay, now I can't use this um, analogy more. It's almost like a tape recorder or a CD, but many of you guys don't, know what, you guys don't even know what a tape recorder is. And some of you don't know even what a CD is, but a CD was that re- really primitive round disc that, that those digital music upon, okay? And um, you could hit the button play, and, and some of you guys can see this on your iPod or whatever that you listen to music on. You guys know that there's that repeat thing, you know, that little symbol that goes circle, 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 and then the, the song goes on and on and on. And some of you have thoughts that are on repeat, it just, it just cycles around and around and around. And sometimes psychologists talk about having a bad tape, a bad tape in your mind. Now let me ask you this question. Do you have this on, on a bad tape? you got this cycling on repeat. This is a question that when you're walking through life, this happens, this comes around again and again. And the question is this, what's in it for me? What's in it for me? Is that question going on? I mean, you may not exactly say it that way. You do this. You walk into this room. Well, I don't like most of the people. Who are the people I like? That's another way of saying, what's in it for me? 
Oh, you walk into the room. I'm just using church as an example. Oh, I hope the music is good today because, you know, if the music isn't very good, then I get bored here. That's another way of saying what's in it for me. We do this a lot. The reason why many of you and me, me too, sometimes have this tape, this bad thing on repeat, is because we habitually ask this question. You walk into a store, what's in it for me? You look for the sales, well, what are the cool items, what's in it for me? You, you go, you turn on your TV, and then the guide comes up, and you're looking, which are the shows that I like? What's in it for me? What's in it for me? What's in it for me? It's going on all the time. But if this is the way you, pra- you, you, you process your life, and you think that by answering this question, that this is the primary way that your life is going to be built, I'm telling you, you're in trouble. <laughs> you're in trouble. I'm in trouble. We in America, we are building our life on this question of what's in it for me. The economists and political philosophers who lead us, they have a word for this. It's called self-interest. That we're constantly seeking self-interest. That we're actually going to build our life on self-interest. So what's in it for me? If I can get all the things that's in it for me, then I can have a good life, right? I can have a good life if I can get all the things that's in it for me. Add up all the things. I, you know, I want to get the what's in it for me girlfriend. Then what's in it for me wife? What's in it for me college? What's in it for me sports? What's in it for me TV shows? What's in it for me restaurant? What's in it for me neighborhood house, etc.? Huh. Huh. Some of us you go a little bit more advanced. What's in it for us, which means my family, Somebody, or me and my wife, or me and my kids, whatever it is. But if that's all there is, your life isn't built upon much. Hmm. Self-interest. In order to get more and more things that's uh, in it for me, then what we also need is, we can't control these things. So what we also need is good circumstances. So that means the ducks have to line up in life. And so um, when you graduate from college, you want the economy to be going up, preferably in your industry. Hmm? And if it isn't, then, oh my goodness, then I mean i got to get a job it's actually, I mean, this is actually very real. Economists have studied this, and they say that if you graduate college during a recession, your likelihood of making lots of money in your life just go boom. I mean, it's, it's crazy. It it's, has nothing to do with what college you actually went to, how hard you worked. It's just when you happen to graduate. If you happen to graduate, and the economy is humming along, and you get a good job in an industry that's coming along, you're much more likely, for five years later, to be advancing in your career. Ten years later, to be in a really great place in your career, and then, of course, make a lot more money. And that has nothing to do with you. It just has to do with when you graduated. Circumstances. Um, I don't know how many of you grew up with people like this, but in, in Asia... People know that you can't control your whole life. In America, we don't know this. In America, you think you can control your life. We're really dumb, okay? But in Asia, they actually understand you can only control certain things, and then you need, they call it fortune or good luck. And so you know what they do? They go to certain special people whom you pay, and they will get in touch with the gods and the gods will give you good circumstances. That's the, at least that's the idea. So they know you have to work really hard, 
and you need to get into the right colleges and get into the good jobs and don't marry a really bad person, that kind of thing. Okay, that, those are some things that you have some control over, but then there's a whole other thing that you can't control, things like whether you get cancer. Things that you can't control, that the, the people who run the government will not rob and steal from you. Now, in America, they generally don't, but that's changing, by the way. In America, it's changing. In other countries, it's completely normal that the magistrate that controls your local area will just deny you, deny you your business license. Yeah, I want to I start a store here. In order to do that, I need to get sign-off on this piece of land to build my store. And the magistrate just goes, no, because I don't like you. What's the reason? Oh, we'll get back to you. We need to make a decision. And they don't say no. What they just say is that there isn't going to be a decision. There isn't going to be a decision. There isn't going to be a decision. So then you know what people do? Then they go to the, um, the special person who will you know, make it right with the gods, or they just bribe the guy. Good circumstances. Is your life built upon this? Is that primarily what your life is built upon? If this is all that your life is built upon... You're really in trouble. I'm, I'm not kidding. You're really in trouble. You know why a lot of people are angry and even depressed and sad? Because they try to build their life upon self-interest and good circumstances. Now, on the on somewhere along the line, self-interest um, self is just a really shallow and empty place to go build your, um, your life. And the other thing is, good circumstances don't last for everybody. And even if you live in a, in a in really in the lottery ticket of history, like in Silicon Valley where the weather is good and people are smart and you live in America and all this other kinds of stuff and you have all these opportunities, even still, somewhere along the line, it won't, the circumstances won't work out for you. Not your fault. Okay, that your child, that your child has a learning disability. And all of a sudden, what what, what happened? What happened there? I mean, it's not your fault that your mom got cancer. And now all of a sudden, for a big chunk of your life, for about six, seven, eight years of your life, it takes up 10, 20, 30 hours a week. And it's very painful. Good circumstances. Hmm? But do you have something else that can give you hope and power and joy? And let me say this thing to you. Something in your life that's big enough that you can serve it. <laughs> you can actually serve this, and when you serve this bigger, this bigger reality, that, that, and then when this advances, when this advances, even though your specific little circumstances are not great, or you're not getting every TV show you like, or every piece of self-interest, or your, your money, or the, your things are not working out great, but this thing that you serve is bigger. It's bigger than all these things. It's bigger than the, small, the smallness of your self-interest. If it's bigger, then something bigger than the small confines of circumstances and self-interest has the, has the power to bring power into your life. See? And usually, if you are going to serve something bigger, guess what? You have to be willing to sacrifice for it. And you have to be willing to face some hardship and suffering for it. If you have no commitment, no suffering, no willingness to suffer, 
no willingness to sacrifice. And that's really the problem of most of us here in America, isn't it? Our, our, sacrifice, our sacrifice willingness is really low. Our commitment, I mean, oh gosh, it's, a lot of us don't have a hard time even just committing something really good, something like the retreat in two weeks. Okay? So, I mean, um, even that, and that's, like, that's a pretty easy thing to commit to. But um, this is why, I, I don't want to get too harsh on you guys, but the millennials, that's why you millennials are even afraid to get married. <laughs> because it requires a commitment. And then in the marriage, it requires sacrifice. And then from the sacrifice, you may have to suffer and incur loss. That's just marriage. And then after that, um, the millennials are afraid of kids. Because again, sacrifice and commitment, even suffering. And yet, if you stay, and I said this last week, you, you can stay in a little coffin of all your little pleasures and self-interest, but there your heart, and I'm just quoting Lewis, will become hard. Because you're in a little coffin of shallowness. There's so many people I meet today, especially millennials, looking for a cause. I want a big, righteous cause, okay? And then... And then they go into the cause, and then inside the cause, whatever it is, they, they go into the cause of, you know, maybe it's politics, or they're going to build my company, or something like this. And then after a while, one of two things happens. One is, their cause advances forward, they get it, and then, it's, and then, and then they go, oh, is that it? <laughs> That's the good side. That's the good result. The bad result is, their cause gets beaten down, or they just meet the total jerks that are within the cause, and they're like, I hate these people. <laughs> and they do that in church, too. They even do it in church. I hate these people. Because people are jerks, and they make things. Even the people who are supposed to be your partners, they'll come back and backstab you and all these other things. These are, these are happening in the church. But what do you have that you can sacrifice for? If you've got nothing to sacrifice for, then all you're living is for yourself. Really. If you have nothing bigger than you that you're willing to pay a price, pay your time, pay your money, maybe even your life. I have an old dear friend um, who actually, he was a pastor friend, and he passed away in a really tragic um, accident when he was on his way to a, a mission, um, mission, mission trip. His name is Kenny, Kenny Ye. And Kenny used to say, if you got nothing to die for, you don't have much to live for. If you got nothing to die for, that you're willing to die and pay for, even with your life, you don't have much to live for. And so, when you don't have much to live for because you're living for self-interest and good circumstances, and then when the circumstances break, and then you realize, all I have is just a few little things, then... That's why people get suicidal right there. I don't mean to be mean, but they don't have much to live for. So then demonic thoughts, and they are demonic. Demonic thoughts are, maybe I should just escape and end it all. Hmm? So that's why there's so much depression in our society. And that's why there is, suicide is not uncommon in our society. Because we're all trying to do this essentially shallow life. The human heart is big. The human heart, you know how big it is? It's infinite. 
It's infinite. You cannot fill it with small things like self-interest and good circumstances. It's infinite because an infinite God wants to dwell in the human heart. An infinite God and His infinite glories belongs in the human heart. So if you try to make it less than that, it's going to, it's bound to break and your life will become very, very sad. Maybe you'll even want to end it because it's not worth much. That's part one. Let's go to part two. Um, dependence upon the opinions of others versus the pleasure and approval of God. Um, I just chewed on this text and chewed on this text and it is amazing to me that one, so I want you to think about this. In this passage, in the first half of this passage, the Romans don't like Paul. The Jews don't like Paul. That's why he's in prison. Okay? The Jews who are, who are his own ethnicity and the people that whom he should love and they should love him, they hate him, so they spread stuff about him. The Romans who are the respectable, powerful people in society, they don't like him, so they toss him into prison. Okay? So there you go. So right in the first half of the passage, you're talking about a guy who most everybody that kind of matters, his own people and the respectful people of society, have said, you stink, go to prison. Okay? So that's one set of people. Then in the second half of the passage is this. Then there are Christians, there are Christians, people who say they believe in Jesus, and they look at Paul as primarily a rival, somebody they dislike. So then, out of spite against Paul, they preach the gospel to be against Paul. It's really weird, okay? I know that sounds really strange, because you know all pastors are really holy men, right? They all only do this out of the, the deep goodness and wellness of their heart, right? Of course not. Of course not. The first century when the Bible was being written wasn't some special super time of holiness. It was just normal life. Normal, depraved life, which means there are jerks in the church. There are idiots and losers and angry and envious and rivalry-filled pastors, etc. It's just normal church. Just completely normal church. And some of them are doing this to stick it to Paul. I'm telling you, I, I've been a pastor long enough. There are plenty of guys I know. They have, we have very, very impure motives. I myself know that I have certain impure motives in, in, in the way I preach and the way I lead. And, um, and I'm not trying to brag in any kind of way, but um, that's one of the reasons I started fasting. I started fasting one day per week, not because I'm a holy man, but because I'm an unholy man. And, and sometimes people see the unholiness and then they say, whatever, okay? And sometimes it's the other pastors even. <laughs> it happens. So here's Paul. Throughout much of our life, isn't it great if everybody just likes you? I'm a nice person, you're a nice person. I tried my best. How come you don't like me? A lot of you, a lot of us, if just one or two people really dislikes you or says something really harsh or mean about you, we just crumble. We just crumble. You see, your mind is on that person all week long. You, like, you, you, you feel, you, in some ways, you, you just kind of hate that person or you want to avoid that person if they said anything even a little mean or, or harsh to you. Or how about what they said about you was really true. That's even worse. They said 
that what you, they said something about you, and they made a criticism about you, and this is why they don't like you. Or maybe they like you even, but they still criticize you, and then you're like, oh, okay? And then it's even worse, because what they said was true, and deep down in your heart, you know it. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Get that feeling? And yet, when this happens, then we just crumble. We crumble, we get sad, we get depressed. Um, so much of our life is really so powerfully dependent upon the approval of other people. Hmm? Um, you know, if, if uh, I don't know if many of you young, younger guys know this or not, um, you'll get a job, a, a good chunk of it, of whether you get a job or whether the job is offered to you or not, is simply whether the guy who is making the decision likes you. <laughs> not based upon your resume, <laughs> Not based upon how, um, what college you went to, your skills. Of course, they won't even consider you if your resume doesn't even look halfway okay. But there's lots of places and jobs where you're even underqualified or not qualified for the job. And just because the person likes you, okay, just because, or they think they like you because somebody else likes you and that person likes the person that recommended you and therefore just for that reason alone you get the job <laughs> like you that's actually a big part of life and yet um, there's there's two ways we try to deal with this we're really really powerfully kind of schizophrenic about this I don't care what anybody else thinks about me I can just tell myself nonsense no you can't or, the other way was, you know it's very real that what other people think about you matters. So then, we're controlled by it. We're owned by it. Of course, not every single person, but certain important people. Certain important people, like your boss, like your close friends, like your family, maybe your pastor, maybe certain leaders, what they think about you, it really matters. But if that's the case, then your life is very fragile. You're fragile. Your heart is fragile. It can break like a glass. Boom. And all these things, the calamity. So what is calamity? Calamity is good circumstances completely, boom, blew up in a big fat way. What's rejection or opposition? In all these different ways, it's feedback upon what is your life about. If calamity could break you, then whatever it is that you built upon must have just left. I needed good health, good health, good health. And then I got really sick, and then that person just got totally depressed. You ever meet a person that has terminal cancer? I mean terminal, stage four. And they have joy. They got joy. You ever meet that kind of person? Hmm? You ever met a person who, who had a child born with a birth defect? A really tough one. And they have perseverance and power. You ever meet a person that other people hate them and reject them, and yet it not only doesn't crush them, but they can actually return kindness for hatred. <laughs> they hated but instead of returning resentment against you, you hate me, so I hate you back. And, but they can return kindness. 
they get something more going on. And whenever we see this, we marvel. Oh my goodness, wow, what is that? Wow, because there's something more. This guy, Paul, this guy, Paul, he's not a people pleaser and all the peoples of man, they're going to, it's going to define me. You know, in our society, we, we want to, we love these stories where someone is this underdog and he has a rightful purpose. And in that rightful purpose, there's all these blind people who hate him and is against him. But he can somehow take it on and return it with righteousness. Love these movies? Have you ever seen, like, Remember the Titans? Have you ever seen that movie? You ever seen that movie? Oh, gosh, that movie's maybe a little too old for some of you younger guys, all right? Okay, everybody, under, if you're under the age of 18 and you've never seen Remember the Titans, go watch it this week. Okay, so that'd be like homework. <laughs> okay? But what that movie is about is about a black coach, a football coach, in a very football-rabid town, and then he decides to take his black players and the white players and make them one team. And they already are racist and hate each other. And he gets crazy opposition for it. Uh, townsfolks, other coaches, uh, his players, and he persists. See, we love these stories. But actually, you've got to live for something bigger. So he had to live for something more than his own football success. See? Does that make sense? He had to live, he had to be willing to get fired in order to do this thing. He had to lose, he had to put his career advancement on the line. He had to put, possibly, maybe the team will be so disunified they'll lose, lose games. He had to put his circumstances on the line. So we love these movies. But until you serve something bigger, that's worthy of your sacrifice and of your life. And believe in that more than you believe in yourself, your little own wisdom. You've got to believe in it. This is what faith is. I believe in that more than this. So people have faith. The coach in that movie, he had faith that conquering racism is more worthy than winning football games and having a nice, comfortable little career. So he actually was willing to sacrifice these things because he had faith in this more than in his own self-interest. He lived for something bigger than himself. We love these movies. We love these stories. But actually, it's a deeply human thing, which is why the gospel, and many of you and I, we're all afraid of this. Oh, no, 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 no. If I, if I go too far with Jesus, then I, 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 like, bad things can happen. Well, yes, <laughs> If I go too far with Jesus, I may have to sacrifice and suffer. Oh, okay, can we just, like, let's try to limit that as much as possible. Smaller, smaller, smaller. No, 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 no. Actually, if you want to get a deeper and deeper life, you have to run to the sacrifice. <laughs> that sounds kind of crazy. You have to embrace the commitment. And only then, when you can, you're in the middle of the hurting part, in the middle of the calamity. Then the calamity comes, and then you'll find out if Jesus is big enough, if Jesus can conquer these things. And the more you'll, this guy, he built his life on the biggest thing there is, Jesus Christ or the gospel. <clears throat> Let me conclude my message. The power and worthiness of the gospel. 
you think this is just happening in a prison in first century Greco-Roman times? A few weeks ago, a very disturbed, racist, white 21-year-old went to a church in Charleston, South Carolina. He went to the prayer meeting or their Bible study. I forget. One, one article, I think the New York Times said it was a Bible study, and the Washington Post said it was a prayer meeting. I mean, but that's what happens in church. Um, he went to a black church. Uh, it was called um, the Emmanuel African Methodist Episcopal Church. Different denomination than us. Probably the feel of the worship is very different, but most certainly a Christian church. The AME denomination is mostly black. He went to this church. He was filled with racist hatred. How do you go to a Bible study or a prayer meeting for one hour with people? They embraced him. They welcomed him. And after it was over, he pulled out a gun and shot and killed nine people. Some of them he shot multiple times. Multiple times. He was caught. I mean, people saw him. And there was an arraignment. So this isn't the trial. What it is, it's just a question of whether he's going to get bail. Whether they're going to let him out for bail, and they were pretty much not going to let him out, probably, since that was the crime, a violent crime that he was being charged with. And at this arraignment, the judge did something unusual. It's unusual to us on the West Coast. Maybe it's not unusual in South Carolina, but it is to the rest, to lots of places in the country, they don't do this. But the judge let people who represented the nine victims speak. You can go watch this. I watched this this past week. You can go on and just Google Charleston, South Carolina shooting arraignment or something like that, or just something like that. And a video will come up. And you don't get to see the people. They have uh, the guy who... His name is Dylan Roof. Dylan Roof looks like this. He looks like a disturbed guy, actually. I'm not trying to, like, you know, it's not a, it's not a, it's not a, um, a stereotype. I'm looking like, oh, gosh, okay? And they have him on a camera. He's not even in the room. And then over, just you can only hear the audio because they don't pan the, the camera over to the people in the courtroom. They just keep it on him. And then you could hear different people. And then the judge goes one by one. Who is here representing? And then he names a person. He names one of the people who were killed. Who, and then is there anybody? And I think the first one or two, nobody's there representing to say anything. But when you get to like the third person, there's always somebody there. And it's usually, it was one of their loved ones. And then they started saying something extraordinary. They said, I admit that I'm filled with anger. You took something from me. I will never talk to my daughter again. But I forgive you. <laughs> I forgive you. Then there's the next person. May God have mercy on you. I forgive you. We will not be filled with hate. Hate will not win. So I'm going to forgive you. I'm still, I still have anger, but I choose to forgive you. And I pray that one day you will meet Christ. They said this. 
whole national media is following this thing. This went on the New York Times. The, the, the guy who wrote this on the New York Times said, it was a moment of grace. <laughs> I don't know if you know this, but the New York Times does not use the word grace. But they had no other word. <laughs> they don't know even what to make of this thing. So the secular person writing this article for the New York Times, a very, very secular, powerful, influential newspaper, said it was a powerful, deeply moving moment of grace. You could read the Washington Post. They're, they're all in awe of this moment. They're in awe of the video, the CBS News, the Washington Post, the New York Times, the Guardian. You know what the Guardian is? It's sort of like the New York Times of London. And so all of Europe tends to read the Guardian, the English-speaking folks in Europe. You know, one, other, one of the other articles that I read, you know where it was from? This, this was amazing to me. It was from Al Jazeera America. You know what Al Jazeera is? Al Jazeera is like the CNN of, uh, of the Muslim world. And it was funded by a really rich family from Qatar. You know, Q-A-T-A-R, Middle Eastern country, very rich family, all Muslim. And they tend to usually paint America in a negative light. They tend to paint Christianity in a negative light because they have a Muslim-colored view of the world. And yet the Al Jazeera America, they were in awe of these very humble African-American Christians who had just gone through horrific calamity and they had power to say, I forgive you to this person who had rejected them and hurt them in a completely awful way. I've been thinking about this this week. I've been thinking about that incident and I've been thinking about this passage. And I've been thinking, if somebody, one of the ladies was, um, I forget his name, Taiwan something, that was the son's name. The mother said, said, he was my son, he was my hero, but may God have mercy on you, may you meet Christ. She said something to that effect. And its story came out that Taiwan, um, when the guy pulled out his gun, jumped in front of, shielded some of the others who were shot, and he took multiple bullets, and that's how he died. <laughs> See, he believed in something bigger. <laughs> He's at the Bible studies. <laughs> I mean, like, it's a one-hour prayer meeting. <laughs> and I thought about it. I thought about, what if in the future, somebody in our city decides to come to one of our Bible studies one of our prayer meetings, see, we pray for an hour right here too. Saturday mornings, a handful of us come right here and pray together for more than an hour. What if somebody decided to come to that, whip out a gun, and start blasting away? What if it happened um, among youth kids? What if, my, what if my baby girl, Elizabeth, was murdered? What if my son had to try to shield his sister and, and, and don't think it can't happen. This is a, a, a nice, quiet time, and, and, and how it happened. 
Of course, this guy was maybe done with um, very filled with racist hatred, but an anti-Christian spirit is arising more and more in America. I don't think it can happen. It could happen. And I think about this too. I think maybe in 10 years I'll be tossed into prison because I'm a preacher and I unashamedly preach the gospel. And what if people spread some lies about me or, or something? Oh, that pastor over there, he really hates gay people. He's bigoted. He has to be silenced. Even though I preach love and mercy to my neighbors, including homosexuals too. But no, what if that's, that's the story that gets out there by me? I get tossed into prison. And I think about this. Could I return forgiveness to someone who shot my kid? Hmm? And then could I rejoice? I looked at that video and I was reading the Al Jazeera. And while I was reading the Al Jazeera article, I almost wept. Because the gospel was going out into the world. See? This is what our life needs to be about. Whether in abundance or whether in calamity, whether people like us or people hate us, can we defeat it? Because our life, we see that the gospel is so filled in our life, there can be a serenity and a love and a forgiveness and a blessing that goes returns. That to each other, even to each other, you know, you've been a real pain to me, brother, but you're my brother, so I'm going to love you the way Jesus has loved me. Here's the gospel. At the center of the gospel is a God, is a king, who has every good circumstance. He has every good circumstance. He's in heaven. Everything is pristine there. There's no sinners. There's no cancer. There's no bad luck. At least I don't think there is. And he's the king of kings. He's the Lord. And nobody hates him. There's no opposition. There's no rejection. Everybody adores the Son of God. In fact, everybody loves the Son of God. And they sing his praises all the time. The angels just sing his praises. They're like, we just love doing this. And then he was born into a crap hole town and placed in the worst, one of the worst cribs you could possibly imagine. It was a feeding trough. We call it a manger. And then he lived a life. And guess what? It was poor and filled with hunger and, and, and lots of bad circumstances and his self-interest he was always putting his self-interest away. And then he met people. They hated him. The Jews hated him. The Romans hated him. And then they ultimately conspired to murder him, crucify him. All so that he could conquer all that with his death and resurrection. And then that's the gospel. That's the gospel. <laughs> Can this story, this proclamation, be bigger than your self-interest and your circumstances? Can it be bigger than, than the approval of other people? 
And if so, in this, in that gospel, with that God, see, that cross has the power to take on all things. It really does. If you're united to that God who took on all things with that cross, your life will have power. And I don't know if, if someone would ever shoot my son, if I could forgive them, I think I would have raging hatred against that person. I think I would immediately want to think, I'm going to go get a gun. I'm going to get to that courtroom. I'm going to shoot that person. But then hopefully, if I build my heart on the gospel, something more can come in. The power of the cross can come in and flood my heart filled with raging hatred and actually move toward forgiveness. There's a power there and a worth. So I encourage you this week, watch Remember the Titans. <laughs> and actually think on something far more than football. Think on the cross of Jesus to take on all calamity and all rejection because the gospel is bigger than all these things. Let's pray. <clears throat> This world is filled with rejection, especially against us who believe in Jesus, believe in you, Lord. And no matter whether we are rich or whether we are poor, we are all susceptible and vulnerable to bad things happening to us. Sometimes it may be something we did, something maybe it was nothing that we did. And yet, Lord, I pray that in this church, with every person here in this room, the cross of Jesus could begin to loom so very large. The God who gave up self-interest and good circumstances and the approval of all the angels so that he could show us that he himself, through his death and resurrection, has far more to offer us than money or approval or good circumstances, Lord. That the power, the life, the hope of the gospel through Jesus Christ, that is power to take on all things in this life. I pray that we would begin to take this word in. This is such a crazy news. This proclamation of Jesus is, is, is almost too good to believe, and it's intense. And we are a fearful and shallow people, Lord. We confess to you. But give us courage. Give us commitment. Let us run and be not afraid of sacrifice or of opposition. Make us like our African-American brothers and sisters in South Carolina. Make us like Paul. Make us like Jesus where the gospel will be bigger and bigger and bigger. And we rejoice even when it's hard. Make us this way. Only you can make us this way, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.